change in general is scary for human beings. The way people used to do certain things are not done that way anymore. In the modern world, a machine is very often replacing what humans used to do. Change is scary, but that's okay, because change is the only constant in history. This is Kotecki on Tech. I am James Kotecki, here with a special episode recorded live at the 2019 Marketing Artificial Intelligence Conference in Cleveland, Ohio. You're about to hear my main stage interview with Dr. Kanishka Bhattacharya, Senior Director of Data Science and Analytics at Publicis Sapient, which is in the business of helping other companies do digital transformation. But first, you're going to hear me hype up the crowd by playing to the locals. Here we go. Thank you. All right, um, so if I could take a second, this has been so great. How many people are from Ohio here, by the way? What? Okay. Oh, a lot of you. Okay, a lot of you are here from Ohio. So I, I'm a marketer, like many of you, and as marketers, we're all about uh, audience engagement, right? So how about we do a little audience engagement right now, kind of at the end of the day, get the crowd going a little bit, all right? Anybody with me on this? Okay, so I've heard this thing from my Ohio friends that I've met here at the conference, okay? And it's when you say, when someone says, O-H, the crowd responds, I-O, all right? So we're gonna try and do this, bring the whole crowd. I'm not from Ohio. I feel like this state has treated us very well the last few days. So let's all show Ohio some respect. O-H! Ah, yo. That was great, guys. Give yourselves a round of applause. Thank you so much. All right. We got them all warmed up for you. That's and pretty I think, good. Thank I, I you. think we're ready to chat. You're from London, right? Well, I'm originally from South Asia, India, but I've lived in London for several years. Yeah. Um, and what kind of cheers do you have in London when you were to engage a crowd like this? There's usually a lot of alcohol involved in the UK. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, and you've enjoyed your time here. First time in Cleveland? It is my first time in Cleveland, very okay. warm, welcoming uh, host, so thank you. Yes. Uh, also learned something about twisted tea last evening. It's <laughs> been very educational, thank you for that. That was a little inside joke for some yeah. of the people in the front row. <laughs> um, all right, let's get into it. Publicis Sapient, uh, starting with what is it? You're a digital transformation company. What does digital transformation mean? Let's just kind of set the scene before we dive into the AI stuff. Sure, so Publicis Sapien is part of the wider, much bigger umbrella called uh, Publicis, which many of you would have heard. It's a French corporation. Publicis Sapien focuses on digital business transformation. So what we do is we go to large organizations, many of them in financial services, retail, uh, government, name it, um, and we change the way they work, right? So I'm gonna borrow some words from yesterday, faster, cheaper, better. Uh, but fundamentally making it more resilient, making it as good as the brightest and the best organizations out there can be like. Um, so we make organizations more profitable, allow them to scale better and, and cut costs. So give me an example of how that might look for a specific company. So um, a long list of engagements, I'll pick one. Uh, we're working with a large bank called the Lloyds Bank, which started in 1773 in Birmingham um, in the UK, so more than 250 years old. Um, it's quite a large bank. It's got something like 30 million customers. Um, except given it's an old organization means that it's got quite a lot of legacy, right? It's got, I can't give you exact numbers, but it's got a very long list of different data systems, organizations, very hierarchical and so on and so forth. And they're falling behind. They're falling behind because some of the latest, more digital savvy banks, the small challenger banks are sort of starting to eat up on market, share faster, quicker than anyone would have thought. So. 
these large banks now need to fundamentally transform themselves. So we're in the middle of a multi-year transformation program where we're more or less rebuilding the bank from scratch. So fundamental transformation, that's a great term that I think applies to what a lot of people at this conference are looking for. Mm. I think one of the kind of themes that's had uh, a lot of resonance here at this conference is like, how the heck do I even get started, right? Is that, some of the, is that a theme that is resonated yeah. with you as you've listened to some of the sessions here this week? Absolutely, and I think I've, I've uh, sat through quite a few of these sessions, wonderful sessions, very, you know, very, very thoughtful, insightful. I think persistent themes mean how do you make a change, how do you get started, and I often say, it's important to get uh, the leadership on board. It's important to make sure you're led by strategy. Don't just scratch on the surface. Don't just try small bits and pieces here and there. You've got to think of this as the blood of the future organization. So a small prick here and there won't do it. Let's bring AI into this a little bit. When you talk about digital transformation, is AI an, a component of that? Is it uh, kind of just assumed that there's going to be AI? Are there sometimes problems when people assume that there's going to yeah. be AI as a component of it? How does that fit in? Look, um, with my background in maths and stats, obviously I'm going to be a bit biased and I'm going to say, you know, it is very, very, very important. It's perhaps yeah. the most fundamental piece of any transformation journey is the data and how you use it, right? And AI methods um, are, are fundamental to that. So, so absolutely, it is fundamental. Um, uh, I, think, I think there are challenges, though. And, and, and I think when you get started with something of this sort, it's always scary, right? It's scary for two or three reasons. I mean, A, change in general is scary for human beings, right? Uh, you have to move a house, you're worried about that, right? Now imagine an entire organization worth billions and billions of pounds suddenly having to change, right? People having to reskill. The way people used to do certain things are not done that way anymore. In the modern world, a machine is very often replacing what humans used to do. Um, and we have, we've, we've managed to find ways of working around those situations. We can talk about some of those, but, um, but I think change is scary. But that's, that's okay, because change is the only constant in history. Fear is a very human emotion. And, of course, the, the machines aren't scared, right? The people are. And the people are the ones who are needing to make these changes, ultimately. And there's something that you said as we were chatting just before this, which is that the technology turns out to be easier in many cases than the actual cultural shift that needs to happen. So I get a sense there's a lot of marketers here who are going to go back to their companies and say, I have these great ideas for how we're going to do AI. And one of the things I don't think has been discussed as much is how do you actually socialize these ideas and culturally get them into your leadership's brain or maybe convince your boss that it was your boss's idea? What are some of the tactics to actually do that? So, so, okay, so on the first point, I think it's important to recognize that this is not new, right? There are certain sectors, certain organizations who've used AI, uh, certain versions of AI for a very, very long time. Certain divisions, hedge funds and so on, they've just done that for a very yeah. long time. Um, I was just uh, telling um, Chris that um, back in 2006, I used to work for a New York-based hedge fund, and the systems they had at that time were better than the systems that some of the large banks have today, retail mm -hmm. banks, right? So it's been done in other spaces. So the technology and the data getting that right, to me, is not the scary part. The scary part is getting humans to change, right? We often start with leadership, right? We, we kind of engage at the CEO level. To a huge extent, two or three factors need to be correct. A, uh, there needs to be members in the leadership who understand this stuff really well. And when I say really well, a six-week crash course is not going to cut it. You need members in the leadership who've kind of done it for a good 10, 15 years. 
they know what good looks like. By right it, now. do you mean data science generally or AI Data specifically? science generally, mm -hmm. I would say, and there's a lot of diversity in that space. Mm -hmm. Without going into the details, I would say, just yeah. general exposure to that space, knowing what good looks like, that's very important, right? Mm -hmm. um, but you wouldn't expect every member of the leadership to get there, but you need to have some representation. I think that's very important. Second, if the leadership is bought in, and I, that's very important, they have to be bought in, otherwise the change won't happen. If they are, then they'd have to kind of cascade that down the organization, right? Um, but fundamentally, they'll have to think of restructuring the way the organization works. Um, older structures uh, don't quite work in this space for a long list of reasons. So newer organizational models need to be looked at. And how have you found the best practices for how leaders actually communicate this to their subordinate teams? Because it's the people at the kind of ground level who might be the most afraid of whether a machine takes their job or not, certainly their job would significantly change based on what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good question. Um, so, so I think, so, so there's a lot of buzz around AI, and I think that has helped organizations, right? Because everyone's exposed to what Harvard Business Review may write about this, or FT.com, so on and so forth. That's been very, very helpful, right? So that's kind of done part of the job in a way. As a result of the buzz, a lot of employees themselves would kind of look up, go through short courses, in whether that's YouTube or Coursera or wherever else. So that's all been very helpful. In terms of best practices, I think often and little is a good idea, and showing clear examples of success mm -hmm. is a good idea, right? So uh, the world we live in, whether we realize it or not, uh, we are surrounded by AI, right? Uh, almost all of us use smartphones I'm out here, I'm guessing. Is there anyone who doesn't? I, well, I know, uh, I don't know anyone anymore who doesn't use smartphones, right? And smartphones have a lot of AI. So, so coming up with concrete examples of AI applications, which makes a very tangible, concrete difference to the organization, that's very important. I think we humans learn from stories and examples. Do you have, and obviously don't use any names, do you have an example of, of cultural assimilation gone completely wrong that you can share with us? Gosh, uh, how many stories do you want? Um, so, so cultural assimilation gone wrong. So, so yes, absolutely. So I think, so large, large bank in the UK, so we, we do a lot of work in Europe and in the US. I'm going to pick a European story here. Um, so this particular bank where we are doing some very, very interesting work in terms of being able to predict the flow um, of treasuries and so on to optimize treasuries, which is a very important function in large banks, as many of you would know. Um, the challenge we had was the existing members of the Treasury, they just wanted to do things in a certain way. They were doing certain models in this Excel spreadsheet and so on, and they just didn't want to trust the new ways of doing things, uh -huh. automating and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so we had to go one baby step at a time, kind of show them very real, tangible examples, how it's going to work. We had to set up a parallel system so could, they could easily switch between the two. And it's only once they realized that, you know what, there is actually clear advantage to using the other, for a good six to nine months, both had to be supported um, for uh, there was a steady switch over to the new system. But it's, it's hard. It's hard to even get their time because people would be like, oh, we're too busy doing our job. Has anyone seen that cartoon where this man is pushing a square wheel and someone from behind says, oh, hey, try the round one. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 don't trouble me. I'm too busy, right? And very yeah. often that's, that's an issue. Uh I know that people are coming to this conference from a range of different sizes of businesses. Obviously, you're working with large enterprises. Um, you know, and you mentioned something earlier that said, you know, at least one member of your leadership has to be kind of significantly uh, educated on data science or AI or elements of that. And I wonder if there's people out there who think, well, that could never be me because I'm just a small organization. Um, do you have lessons that kind of trickle down to those folks in terms of how to actually even think about this stuff and get started? Look, I think everyone needs to educate themselves, right? I mean, I've spent, what, 
16, 17 years in this space and I'm still learning something new every day, right? So there is an awful lot to learn. No one should stop learning. Everyone needs to learn a little bit. But obviously, what someone's learned in 16 years, it's hard to learn all of that in a matter of a few weeks. Yeah. Or, but that doesn't mean you stop, right? You've got to keep learning. Everyone needs to keep learning. So wherever you are, whatever you learn, that's useful to the organization. As long as there is that learning culture where everyone's got the walls down low. So in my team, I'm the first person to put my arms up and say, I just don't know anything about it. Teach me, right? Um, and I think as long as we have that attitude, like, I just don't know, teach me. Yeah. Um, I think that point was picked up yesterday in, in one of the interviews. Um, I think that's a great start. So it, don't worry that you don't know much. That's okay. Uh, just get started. Uh, speaking of teaching, you are a professor at uh, London Business School now, I believe? So I used to teach at yeah. Oxford for yeah. about 10 years, and now I teach at LBS. Um, and so have you noticed any changes in the way that students perceive of and think of these things, even in the last 10 years? Has there been a shift of what they already come in knowing, for example? So, so I'm a statistician, so I, I've taught probability theory, statistics, time series, machine learning, those sort of topics. Um, and I was saying earlier, certain branches, certain, certain parts of industry, they've used maths and stats at a very, very high sophisticated level for a very long time, several decades. So it's not new. Um, a lot of the students I've taught over the last 10 years, they kind of go into those areas, right? Where the uh, parts of financial services, whether that's credit risk or actuarial services, or they do kind of training, hedge funds, those sort of things. Biotech is one big area. Um, I think the change that I'm starting to notice is in London Business School. Um, where you've got a lot of experienced students, so individuals who've kind of worked in the city, city of London mm -hmm. uh, for about, let's say, seven, eight, ten years, um, and then they come over to study, and there's this sudden push and urge for them to kind of reskill quite quickly, mm -hmm. but it's not just knowing the technicalities, it's also about having the soft skills of being able to work with people from different backgrounds and skill sets. And I think that layer, there's a lot more emphasis there than perhaps used to be five years ago. Because um, we're starting to infuse AI in areas which hasn't seen those applications before. So these soft skills become very, very, very important. And I think that's the new bit. Yeah. So I think this next question maybe dovetails with that a little bit, which is that as data and AI start to become more pervasive in organizations, they can fundamentally change the way that these organizations are organized, as we've been saying. And one of the trends that I believe that you're seeing that we've talked about is this idea of a potential blend between marketing, sales, and customer service. Traditionally, three siloed but related entities now maybe not looking so siloed anymore. Can you speak a little bit to that? So we've worked for a number of clients where we've used a lot of marketing data to help other parts of the organization, and it's worked the other way around as well, mm -hmm. right? So a good example being, so we, we've been doing a lot of work for large retailers. There's a certain German retailer, we realized that 70% of all their dresses get returned. I didn't know the numbers were that bad. So there is something called Instagram shopping. Have you heard of that? Oh, okay. So people take photographs <laughs> of them wearing fancy clothes. Is anyone in the audience uh, want to cop to this, by the way? <laughs> okay. A few, people are pointing, a few people are pointing at other people, but no one's actually admitting it. <laughs> So for dresses, it's 70%, which is pretty bad, right? So these are expensive dresses, um, you know, at least 70, 80 pounds, yeah. 100 pounds worth or more, at times four, 500 pounds worth. They, they, they would never, the intention for these customers is never to buy, right? Now, marketers would still go after these customers thinking they're great customers because uh, they're buying. Because mm -hmm. they don't know that in the extensive supply yeah. chain, these guys are eventually returning stuff. Yeah. And there are individuals where they would just keep returning stuff. They'd never made a single purchase. 
right? So, so there are examples of those where we kind of relying on data which pervades the, the entire organization. And that then brings forth this uh, very compelling case to integrate data sets and use all of them in one go. And that automatically breaks those barriers in sales and marketing and everything else, mm -hmm. right? So the common piece there then is the use of high quality technology and data and data science which overlays on top of all of that. And hence we're starting to see infusion of these new skill sets into what used to be uh, you know, areas where, where you know, such applications won't be seen to the extent that they are being done now. So, so I think that is a theme yeah. which is here to stay. I've heard, you know, there's, there's some buzz out there that maybe the, even the title of CMO is, is old, it's old fashioned and now it's all about chief revenue officer or something yeah. like this. Do you see some of that organizational change happening really literally at the level of people's titles where there is no separate marketing and sales team anymore and is this kind of this data blob of people who are doing that analytics? I think, I think there are lots of uh, startups in a place like London and they come up with very fancy names uh, sure. for their roles and that's fine. I think it makes things more interesting. Um, I think the way their roles have changed, I mean, without getting into names, I think what's in the name, right, as long as you get stuff done. So uh, I think the way the role has changed, though, is there's now a much bigger focus on being able to measure in dollar or pound terms, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, tracking the number of Instagram followers you have may not necessarily mean more revenue, as it turns out to be the case for a number of these large retailers. In fact, as Instagram followers have gone up, turns out some of their profits have actually dwindled, right? For a number of reasons, not just Instagram. Um, so that link to dollar or pound value then has become a lot more important than some of the parameters and metrics we've used for five, 10 years, 15 years. One thing that can happen when a, an outside organization comes in and starts talking about these changes and even does a great job implementing them, the organization leaves and then either things go backwards or that's just the new plateau, right? Yeah. But I assume that your best practice would be you got to keep changing and keep learning all the time. Yeah. So how do you, what advice do you give to an organization or how do you leave an organization such that in absence of just kind of retaining you indefinitely, which might yeah. be great, how do they keep changing over and over again for what is surely going to be a never-ending series of needs to change? Okay, so I'll, I'll answer that in three parts. I used to, uh, before my present consulting job, I used to work for a management consulting firm, and there we used to give a lot of strategic uh, management advice, and a year or two later, we'd realize the organization still hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah. I think the way Publicis Sapient is different is it actually affects and creates that change, and many of our engagements, we don't take the money until we can show the change, right? So we sacrifice our fees if we can. Yep. And that means we've got a lot of interest to get ourselves embedded into the business and actually bring that change in a very measurable way, right? So um, we, there are two things we always say to our clients. One is, if you're thinking of changing, try to measure it in the best way possible. And in a way, that's like your scorecard that you gotta live up to. It's like a sport, it's like a game of some sort. Um, the, the, the scorecard is ticking, you gotta try and catch up. That also infuses um, a certain culture in the organization. You gamify the system, people get very competitive in, in a very positive way and they wanna achieve those. Yeah. I think that helps accelerate change, right? And guess what, that goalpost is constantly changing because the world around you is evolving, competition is, is evolving. So that's one thing. The second is when we don't leave organizations one for morning, pack our bags, I think we, we work with the management very, very closely to agree on strategically what they need to be able to achieve and where they need to be, right? And we kind of work jointly with them to affect that starting from the leadership. Um, if at some point the leadership felt its change is not important anymore, then I think we all know what happens to those organizations. Yeah. But our, our, our strategy very much is to go walk 
shoulder to shoulder with our clients. Uh, I want to make sure we have time for audience questions, but before we do that, while people are thinking of their questions, is there one more kind of quintessential story that you want to share about how AI has uh, effectively changed an organization or how you coming in and, and doing this digital transformation was effective? Because I think all of your examples have been great. Um, there are loads of examples. I think, I think there are two that come to mind. One, one from the auto industry. We work with a very large um, European car manufacturer, a very, very, very respected brand globally. Um, we do a lot of work on the marketing, advertising side of things. And um, was it uh, seven, eight, nine months ago, we started doing quite a lot of work to see how that data, customer experience data, could help other parts of the business. And we, we realized that they've got a massive business problem where they have uh, lots of car spare parts, and they almost overstock, and at times they understock, mm -hmm. because they don't have a very good forward view of which parts are needed when. So wastage is a massive issue, and um, you know, at times someone orders a 130,000 pound car, and they can't deliver, they make the customer wait three months, and guess what, people who have that sort of money, they, they don't yeah. want to wait three months, to wait. it yeah. turns out statistically, yeah. right? Um, so we could, by looking at people's web behavior, we could predict what parts would be needed when, and what sort of configurations of these cars would kind of come in their flowcharts in the demand pipeline. That made a massive difference to the way, well, two things. A, the, th that side of the business just had no idea that, that they had that sort of data, such okay. powerful insights. But B, it, it created a massive business impact with very concrete, clear dollar a pound impact. The second use case that comes to mind is uh, we do a lot of work for large banks, and we've been doing a lot of work around transaction classification. So, you know, if you use whatever credit cards or banks you use, you've got a, a, a description of your transaction. Yeah. Historically, banks haven't used that data very well. So we've been doing a lot of work around using certain AI techniques to represent them as vectors of numbers. I won't go into the technicalities, but in essence, it tells us an awful lot about customers, right? Mm -hmm. And that allows us to work out who's a more vulnerable customer, um, who's more likely to default on their debt, and so on and so forth. The list goes on and on and on, and the benefit runs into hundreds of millions of pounds every year. And that's okay from a privacy standpoint, to be knowing what specific people are spending their money on? The, the, the banks have already held on to that data. So imagine whichever bank you bank with, they know that you spent $3 with Starbucks or yeah. whatever, right? Mm -hmm. So we're just using that data a lot better now, right? Mm -hmm. So banks already have that data, they've already had. Yeah. You have to be careful how you use that data, right? So certain, for whatever reason, men and women, for example, buy different things very often. By looking at purely the nature of transactions, you could tell the gender. Now, you cannot then do an analysis where you're sort of discriminating on that basis, right? Giving a woman a certain debt or, you know, letting her pay a lower premium than the man, for example, which yeah. is a big court case in Europe, for example. You can't do stuff like that. So safe AI becomes uh, important area which, which we would always think about. It's like security inbuilt, yep. um, in our opinion. Like in the software world, you would say security inbuilt. You don't think of it as an afterthought. You think of the safety of AI from day one. Yep. So I want to turn it over to any audience questions that we have uh, while we have a few minutes remaining. And I think there was a mic. There is a mic right there in the center. So throw your hand up if you've got a question. One in the front. So this is actually one that I've gotten over the last couple of days and I didn't have a great answer for. There's a number of people, especially in larger enterprises, where IT controls the data. You alluded to it earlier. You have you know, CRM data, you have marketing data, you have service data, whatever it may be. 
And so some of these enterprise marketers can't even get to the data that they need to be more intelligent with their marketing. So what have you seen work within enterprises where marketing can get access or can make the argument that they should have equal yeah. access to that data? Gosh, that's such a big problem, I can tell you that. Um, I've come across organizations where a certain consulting firm, external consulting firm, would have a stranglehold of the data and they just won't let anyone access that data. So that's a massive issue, right? Um, there are two or three things we would do jointly with our clients to kind of affect that. A, um, in our opinion, IT or a central function needs to be able to set the traffic rules, as we had put it, right? The standards, the hygiene factors, and so on and so forth. In terms, the final users of the data always sit in business, right? Um, so the ownership then needs to lie in business. So we try to make that strategic change. Having said that, in more matured organizations, that ownership could be a bit more fluid uh, because things are a bit more established and there are clear, uh, clear roles and responsibilities, so on and so forth. For the legacy organizations, it's important to make sure business has the right skill sets, which is not necessarily the case today, um, but they need to be given ultimate ownership. Um, and that needs to be, the, the change needs to be top down. If you really got an issue there, the change needs to be top down. Very good friend of mine, he works for one of these large banks, he's the head of corporate banking for one of these large uh, global banks. And he once asked me, Kanish, if I had to ask one question to my organization to understand data maturity, what would that question be? And my answer was, um, ask them how quickly you can uh, access data. If it's less than two hours, then you're doing well. Less than 24, you've got to sort out a few things. More than 24 hours, you really got to sit down and talk about this. That is a great point. And it's something we talk about at Affinia all the time. Yeah. We talk about accessibility uh, as the number one factor for why your data might not actually be ready to go. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that, that, the paradigms have changed, right? I mean, the way, for example, we access cloud computing these days, if you go online, it takes us, what, 30 seconds, one minute to spin up something, less than that. And I think it needs to be the same with data. And if it's not, then you have a lot of work to do. And the challenge would be if someone comes to you with the expectation of the cloud you know, in mind, thinking they can just do this quick AI project, and then they realize their organization is much more bogged down than they maybe realize. In the oh, first place. absolutely. I think, I think there is a huge difference between expectation and reality in the world of data. Um, um, I often say that, you know, this is, with this buzz around data science and AI, everyone thinks it's a sexy job, but uh, let me tell you, it's not, right? 80% um, or 90% of the work is very hard. It's boring, yeah. getting the data right, getting everyone to agree, da-da-da. And I've spent a lot of good years of my life just trying to sort out data. Yeah, something that our data scientists will say is like the data science, the algorithms, those, that is not the hard part. The hard part is everything that's around Well, that, that falls you know? in place if yeah. you get everything yes. else right. Yes, exactly. So it's a critical part, but yeah. it will only work yeah. when the rest is at least 70, 80% of it. Great, well, uh, we are running down the clock here, so I really appreciate your time, and thank you so much for being here. This episode, this is, this is gonna be uh, released as an episode on my podcast, which is called Kotechi on Tech, my last name on tech. So if you wanna hear that, again, because you just heard it, and you wanna share it with all your friends, um, Dr. Kanishka Bhattacharya, thank you so much for well, thank you. joining us. Thank you for having me, thank you. Thanks for listening to this live episode and big thanks to the team at the Marketing Artificial Intelligence Conference for sharing the audio. And hey, why not register for next year's conference at macon.ai? That's M-A-I-C-O-N dot A-I.